Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to talk to Vicky Reynolds, the CTO at i3PT, a company working hard to help digitalise the construction industry. Let's not delay. Let's get Vicky onto the stage to share her journey and the solution her and her team have created. Welcome, Vicky. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Um, that's a good question. Um, my name is Vicky Reynolds. I'm the Chief Technology Officer for an organisation called I3PT. Um, stands for Independent Third Party Testing. And um, essentially... We manage uh, quality or we enable people to better manage quality throughout the construction environment. Um, We started off as a services uh, provider. We we have lots of independent inspectors and painfully intelligent people um, going out and inspecting and verifying work on construction sites against health health and safety standards, quality standards and all that good stuff. Um, And we found that after a while, being back uh, so much data trying to mm. shoehorn it into other systems um, yeah. and, and it just wasn't working so that's how we we began our journey as a software provider as well so we began Brilliant. to build our own software so um, yeah I, I look after the strategic roadmap and the digitalization internally and externally for some of our clients for i3pt. Brilliant that sounds great so coming back to yourself as a leader what's the journey been like from your kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, early days starting your career to here, how did you become a CTO in an organisation like this? I've had an utterly bizarre career path. Um, <laughs> I, I actually, um, uh, I went to drama school, studied cool. acting, um, graduated as an actor many, many years ago now and, and worked in that industry for a little bit, uh, got bored, it just wasn't fulfilling um, and job hopped for quite a while as facilities management. I worked in that industry. Um, I, I worked as an office manager for a software company. Um, and eventually I sort of stumbled into construction in what we call document control. So it's essentially an, an administration information management kind of role there. Right. Um, and I instantly sort of fell in love with it. But the reason I fell in love was because it was so broken. Um, previously, I'd been in these industries that were that were developed, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was just slotting into a well-oiled machine and doing my job. And I started in construction and looked around, and there was so much to fix um, that it sort of excited me, and it, it gave me um, a, a passion project essentially. And yeah. that then led me. I, I had no skills in technology in information management, data management. Um, but I started to build those myself on the side, um, eventually got involved in what we call BIM um, in construction, which is building information modeling. Um, and that then just developed into uh, digital twin technology, the digitalization of the construction industry as a whole. Um, and 
moved from company to company, growing from technician to strategy to road roadmap leadership, um, and eventually ended up at I3PT um, just over a year ago now, actually. Yeah. Wow, that's the, I mean that's quite a journey, as you say. That's from actress to to uh, you know uh, tech leader, which is brilliant. Is and this is the interesting thing, you know. I always find it, uh, you know, what what were the decision points? What were the kind of pivot points where you decided I, I want to move here? I want to do that. Um, you also mentioned that you were a, a techie. Uh, you so you did some kind of software development. Um, it was more so um, in construction. The use of technology really is around um, BIM and BIM processes. So it was uh, the creation of 3D models in a uh, in, in modeling software and then using tools to compare models from different suppliers, federate information, analyze it, um, feedback reports, and essentially make sure that what we had designed was buildable, what was being built was as per the design, right. um, and that then we had the right information to hand over to a client to operate the building as well. So it's the use of technology and the, the techie role in that kind mm. of um, environment. Brilliant. Um so I'm going to state the obvious here. I noticed that you are a woman in the in the kind of uh, in the in, uh, building industry, and, and that hopefully one day we won't have to kind of mention that. What has it been like, kind of developing your career into uh, industry like this? It's very strange because I'd been in a few industries before I fell into construction, and nowhere else had it been as noticeable as it was when I fell into construction. Um, I noticed very quickly, I'd worked in male dominated environments before, but this was the first environment I'd worked in and specifically my first job in construction um, where all of the site norms were based around male behavior. Mm. Um, so getting personal protective equipment that was suited for a female body rather, right. than, rather than men was more difficult. Um, there was a real, um, presenteeism mentality and um, all about lads, lads, lads and banter and jokes. And I am well up for all that kind of good humour on site and everything like that. But you, there was a real difference in the way that men and women were treated. Um, oh, right. That, that has changed. Um, it definitely has in the decade that I've been in construction, but there's yeah. still a lot more to do. That's, yeah, it's good that you're breaking ground and, uh, you know, creating a path for others to follow. And it's, it's a great example to kind of see, you know, people uh, working their way up to that kind of leadership. So that's great. And so you, there you are, you're a chief technology officer now of this uh, great company. Um, and, and the company, in short, what, what problem is it solving in the industry? What's, what's it doing? So essentially, um, the, the built environment or the construction industry specifically is incredibly siloed so rather than what you might expect which would be a, a project team all with the same objectives and agenda delivering a building you have um, lots of different silos so lots of different companies all working together with different contractual obligations um, ambiguities around those contracts in some scenarios a lot of um, secretive behavior um, and it's sometimes in the best interest of the client to to play off those contractors or subcontractors against each other. Wow. Um, and there's also uh, 
this ridiculous understanding in construction that you can sell on risk as well. So essentially the guys at the bottom of the food chain end up absorbing everybody else's risk because they contractually take it on and then they write it into the contract of the person who will be um, delivering the role underneath them. And so what you end up with is a scenario where the people who have the smallest margins are holding the most risk um, and there's no one collaborative um, entity and that is one of the major problems in construction because it means that responsibility can be very unclear mm. um, and accountability is not very well defined. So if we take um, the Grenfell disaster as an example, um, so the a fire in a high-rise building, 72 people lost their lives, um, and we cannot figure out who to prosecute because the information management between the supplier of the material, so the hoarding um, and the cladding, sorry, that was that was used, that was um, below par, uh, the, the people who chose to put that in the building and whether they knew it was below par, um, the people who signed off the design, um, all of this, there was no clear chain of accountability there. Right. And nobody was required to put their signature or their name against any of the decisions that they made. And therefore, we're in a scenario now where everybody's in court saying, oh, I didn't know that was my responsibility. It was never written down anywhere that I had to check that. Um, and so I3PT, a huge part of what we do is around independently inspecting and verifying. We take a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. Our team are exceptionally strong and terrifyingly smart um, I've mm. never worked in a company with such terrifyingly smart people cool. um, and uh, but also in terms of our software it is all about information management that traceability of accountability who signs what off when where that goes next as a decision or a sign off and you can see that chain of uh, of information and decision making for all entities of a building so that then by the time someone's living in it, if anything is subpar in that building, we know who made the decision to put that material there or who didn't pick up on that design fault. And, and that level of accountability makes people behave better. It shouldn't, yes. we should do that anyway, but we don't when we're busy, when we're stressed, we forget. Whereas knowing that you have to put your signature against something or it will be recorded digitally mm. that this was your responsibility all of a sudden then you you take a little bit more interest and give a little bit more of yourself to it. That's great. Uh, and in terms of the work that you do, uh, I take it it's a platform that helps kind of do this, creates this kind of flow of information and and uh, uh, logging, you know, what's happened, who's done that. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a collaborative information management platform. Yeah, great. And in terms of, um, you know, these the collection of this information and people is this is this something quite new or is this kind of a post Grenfell or has it been going on for a while um the the need for for change and to be better yeah it, um so we've always known or we've known for a very long time in construction that we have faults unfortunately it took a massive disaster yeah. for us to to um to start to have to rectify those and that has had to come centrally so 
it's coming in the form of new legislation. Um, interestingly enough, actually, very similar legislation was released in Ireland not so long ago. Uh, my company is is Irish natively, um, and part of our huge development was based around the new legislation in Ireland for the management of quality, fire safety, health and safety um, of buildings. Mm. So now in the UK, in response to the Grenfell disaster, there's a whole heap of new legislation um, around information management, because that was one of the biggest issues for, for Grenfell, is that we didn't know the responsibilities, we couldn't track the, the history of, of the materials and all that kind of um, mm. important information. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that is a real game changer and a real culture changer. So we've known there've been problems, we're only acting now, and there's been a lot of conversation around, you know, what should prompt change? Should it be us realizing that we need to do better or should it be it basically carrot or stick? Yes. And we've come and, down to the fact that it has to, you know, there's there's an element of carrot, but ultimately people have to know that there are ramifications for bad behaviour. Yeah. And what kind of industries, what, so what kind of builds require this? Because I imagine this is a, an additional cost to the construction um, to kind of manage, to administer, to make sure people, um, and the kind of flow of work that goes on on construction sites has to be more uh, accounted for and administered. Um, so do all building companies have to do this? So first of all, I just want to comment on cost versus value. So, so, you know, yes, there may be more upfront costs, certainly for an organisation that's an absolute laggard in terms of digital technology and, um, and skills for their employees as well. So it's going to cost to upskill people, to create those competencies and build the right processes and bring in the right technology. Yeah. But that is a cost really if we're looking at this objectively should have happened years ago anyway it mm. does in almost every other industry we are one of the slowest industries to digitalize and so um if you then compare that against value and the value is that we don't have disasters like grenfell people don't lose their life people go home from work every evening knowing that they've done a good job mm. because it's highlighted quickly when they haven't um that that peace of mind the fact that you know your organization isn't going to get sued you, you know you're not going to end up in court for 18 months after the project's been delivered figuring out who was responsible for what which happens a lot in the construction industry wow, really um yeah at, at project handover there are very often battles uh, contractors have uh, massive legal teams just because they expect some kind of battle at the end of the contract. It's going to turn into a bun fight of some sort. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that kind of speaks to this this note that I've got here around, you know, uh, your company's a nuisance to the industry, but it's not. You're kind of helping, really, aren't you? We are, yeah. We're we're like that annoying fly that's, that's buzzing around. You know, you get notifications saying, you haven't uploaded this document you said you would, or you haven't reviewed this document. We haven't got your signature here. Remember yeah. to do an inspection today. And you're just like, oh, shut up. Yeah. But then when you get, so what we find is um, when we engage with clients for the first time, they hate us. But then as soon as they have to report either, you know, if they're a building association or if they're reporting into a building association or the government or a, or a higher being client, as soon as they have to um, 
uh, evidence good behavior and show that they're doing a good job and they find that actually it's all dashboarded in the at the front of the system for them so they log into the platform and you can see all of the inspections that have taken place the fact that everything has then been reviewed by by competent people and yeah. where there are queries the queries have been sent back and they've been answered by competent people and that whole chain is is closed off neatly and tied with a with a pretty ribbon um that is invaluable to them and so we find that there's a real roller coaster journey when we first get engaged on a project that everyone goes from hating us yeah. to loving us yeah I can... and there's the same um sorry i don't, I don't mean to jump in yeah. um, but there's a similar similar thing with our app as well you know we have for our site inspections we have a mobile app and a lot of the guys previously would have just gone out with um you still see them with um uh cameras like physical cameras not even taking pictures on their phone and a, and a notepad in some instances and mm. then going home at nine ten o'clock at night writing up all their notes and uploading all their pictures to a folder structure um, to then create a report the next day that shows all of the issues that they identified on site the, the previous morning yeah. um, and the idea of of using an app is, is horrible for them very jarring and then as soon as they get used to it, they realize that while they're on site, they snap a picture, they add a comment, they um, they can draw on the on the photograph and um, and label it and, and everything that they need to do right then and there. And when they press send, it's sent off as a full report to the person who then needs to review it next. Done. And by the yeah. time they've left site, their job's done. Brilliant. I love that. I get a sense of um, real nice house cleaning. You know, it's like uh, housekeeping. It's everything's <laughs> in its place and... Uh, documented and in an easy way yes but it feels awful like house cleaning is a perfect example you hate doing it but then when you sit down at the end of the day and you're in a clean house and you've got a glass of red wine and you've just ordered a takeaway you look yeah. around and you think this is nice and I've then you think well <laughs> nailed it nailed it <laughs> literally <laughs> <Adulting. Here> <laughs> uh, so the tool kind of provides feedback loops i'm a, I'm a real big fan of uh, seeing all organizations as systems you know as systems and all healthy systems have feedback loops so this is a, a feedback loop of sort it's kind of logging uh issues uh creating actions that need to be addressed uh, I, I guess it's making tasks as well you know it sounds very agile you know yeah absolutely and there's so much more that we can do so a uh a major part of my next 12 months is identifying how we start doing predictive analysis based on the data that we're collecting across major construction sites in, in the UK and abroad. Essentially, we can track per work package um, where the vulnerabilities are, where we normally see the most problems, what type of contract that will be on the type of subcontractor that is involved yeah. um, and you start to recognize those patterns which means for our next client we can say okay at this point here you need to up your number of inspections or you need to have more people on site or you know you you need to have a health and safety consultant because we always have major issues with this material in these buildings yeah or you know your program your program is absolutely unachievable we've, yeah. we've never known um a, a program this short to be achievable in a in a um, project of this complexity and all of that information at the moment in the construction industry is in people's heads yeah. we rely so much on specialists um so yeah there's a lot there's a lot that we can do there with the data that we're collecting i love that 
uh, kind of lessons learned. It's a continuous learning cycle, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like the end of a sprint cycle where where you reflect back on how it went, that all the data is there. So are you going to be using things like machine learning um, and AI to kind of n- mine that? Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. It's all in our all in our roadmap. In fact, we've just um, secured a, a grant from Enterprise Island, um, and our whole submission was based around uh, machine learning predominantly, with a, a little bit of of AI in there as well. Um, and it's all very much embedded in the idea of um, providing value to the industry. So there's a great thing that. Owen, our CEO, says, which is, you know, you want to do good before you make money, but you have to make money to do good. Or, you know, that's a, yes. it's a bumbling way of saying it. He's much more <laughs> eloquent than that. But essentially, like, we um, we don't want to keep this information to ourselves. We need to be earning just enough to, to keep us going and keep us learning and keep us providing this kind of um, service. But it's not a competitive environment and a lot of the um uh, a lot of effort that we're going to be putting into our product over the next 24 months then is is in apis adapters collaboration and connections with other systems and does your system kind of go as far as people being qualified to do a job because i can imagine that for example a contractor comes along and says you know he or she says i can do the electrical here you know and, and there's obviously a risk of them not being able to be qualified to do that yeah, so we have um, CPD logs built into the system, um, and essentially, uh, or, or you know, competency CV areas where everybody has um, has to upload their competence or evidence of their competence, and that is reviewed um, at the beginning of the project or as they're brought onto the project to ensure that they're capable of delivering the the job that they say that they can. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I think. For me, that that seems like a, a real risk point. You know, it's, it's okay. There's processes and things not being done quite properly. But if the person really doesn't know what they're doing, you know, they're putting in beams at the bottom of a building which is going to support like ten stories. You know, you're thinking, I really want to know that they kind of know what they're doing here. Um, so that's great. So I'm going to come back to you as a leader. What what's the passion? I think I know the answer to this one. What's your passion? What gets you out jumping out of bed in the morning? Um, it's actually it's it's people. So I really, really, really want to see improvements in um, the way people are living, in the way people have a work-life balance. Um, and that is how I've sort of ended up gearing towards technology because mm. that just seems to be the solution for so many of those problems. Um, it, it, when, we, when we go back to you know major disasters and building safety, it all comes down to digital tools and good information management really to, to push that culture change and, and to to make improvements there and then the the day-to-day working life of people on a on a construction site even down to health and safety um you know looking after people's bodies there's exoskeletons now and the um there are machines and robots that can do mundane heavy lift, heavy lifting tasks and and those things that cause repetitive injuries yeah. all of that kind of stuff that's what I really, really love. Cool. I can see it. I can see it in your face. There's a different passionate there. Passionate. So, and then coming on to your leadership style, what what kind of leadership style has kind of worked for you and what hasn't, even better, what hasn't worked maybe? What didn't work for me early on was a lack of 
confidence. Now, I know that probably doesn't come across as I'm speaking to you right now. <laughs> and I know that no one would ever describe me as unconfident. But the reality is that I am I'm a I'm a learned extrovert. So I was I was nudged into performing on stage when I was a kid because I was painfully shy and I really loved getting up and pretending to be someone else yeah yeah, that's what a lot of this is as well podcasts and all that kind of stuff Mm. you put on the character of someone who's confident yes (laughs) and then everything's easier but in in my earlier days in construction especially I hadn't honed that skill Mm. so I would take a lot of things personally Um, I would expect myself to know everything as well and that weakness would then show through in uh, my presentations the way I held myself myself in meetings Um, and I had one particular um, leader on a project I was working on who sort of sensed that vulnerability and and completely ripped me apart it was it was um, a scenario of just prolonged bullying Um, he he did not want me on the project at all and um, a lot of what I went through over a period of, of six months or so was really down to the fact that I wasn't sure where my competence level was or my confidence level was, you know, right now, yeah. if anything similar happened to me, I'd be, I'd be banging on the door of HR or I'd, I'd have some very choice words to say to him. Sure. But, um, it's, it's hard. So I've taken that and I want to be the leader that I needed then. So yes. that's my, that has been my um, sort of vision. Brilliant. For so, so, and, and what, in terms of your leadership now, then, I mean, how, what, what's working for you? What, what, what do you? How would you describe your leadership style? Um, I have to be painfully honest. So I work with a team who are smarter than me and better than me in every single way. They are um, technicians and they are incredible. And if I was to turn around and, and try and act like I didn't need them or I knew more than them, um, we'd, we'd get nowhere. So um, there really is, I have to respect them and value them and listen to them. Um, and that's that's important. My role as a leader really is a coordinator. I make sure that the right people in my team are protected. They have the time that they need um, and the tools that they need to, to make us better as a company. Yeah. So I have the strategic vision, the roadmap, but then it really is then my... Um, responsibility to make sure that they're equipped with everything that they need to help us deliver that. And um, I'm very open and vulnerable with the team as well. Um, they they know when I'm having a bad day and we talk about it. Um, and we have a, a daily stand-up for software development every morning and um, just, you know, dropping in there how, how we're all feeling that day as well is mm. really useful. We're a very close bonded team now and I sort of see them as as my family and that that really helps because there's that level of trust brilliant I love that and it really resonates with me as well uh, to build that social system within the organization and having um Brené Brown you know which is kind of behind me she talks about a lot about vulnerability and uh and, and I love that because it allows other people to be vulnerable as well when they're not sure you know if you've demonstrated it it kind of lays a path forward it, it, this is great great leadership Listen to one of your talks, you spoke around bold enough to take responsibility. And it was a great talk. Do you want to speak around that? Because it sounds like something that you're very passionate about as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's that difference for me in responsibility and accountability. So as a leader, you're accountable for a lot of things. That means that your name's on a lot of documents and um, uh, you 
are you will there are direct ramifications for you if something doesn't happen now that's that's boring whereas mm. responsibility is that feeling that you hold responsibility you know you want to go to bed at night feeling like the environment you've created is mm. the right environment that you've done everything you can to make things better and um i think it's a very fine line to walk sometimes between being vulnerable and open but being um confident enough to be t- completely responsible so i've got absolutely no problem in saying to somebody i appreciate what you've said there but i fundamentally disagree for these reasons and it's my responsibility to highlight when i think there is a problem or when i think there's an issue um and it it's my responsibility just as much as it is to be vulnerable and allow my team to open up to also be that kind of role model that allows them to then question me as well yeah um and it's just you know it vulnerable doesn't mean emotional or weak hmm. i had a note here of uh, in a sink or swim you know uh, i mean was it was it pretty much like that yeah people notice you when you're the only woman yes you know you're obviously you're instantly recognizable so if there is a meeting with 15 middle-aged white men and me they all have that grace of being able to say something a bit stupid and the next day you go oh, one of those guys i can't remember which one but one of them said something stupid if you're the only woman in the room <laughs> you look yeah. different you sound different yeah. you say something that isn't spot on it gets remembered yeah now, that works both ways because um it it's worked in in my advantage um at times because when people are pushing for diversity you know okay we need a woman who's the only woman we know right let's get vicky in um, yes yeah. so there there have been advantages for it but it's also um all eyes are on you and there's a a lot of pressure to you can't be average mm. as a woman in leadership you have to be exceptional yeah i can imagine it was tough but you know you you're making the my daughter she's 13 and you know the people like you are kind of making her life a little bit more um she can focus on the things that she needs to focus on rather than the fact that she's a, a woman um so this is great and and in terms of women becoming more kind of evident in leadership because i mean i've had lots of women in leadership uh uh you know so it's colleagues and and kind of um, you know leading me do you think women in industry in general is changing industries and in what way yeah absolutely i mean it's it's documented so many times in in so many academic reports that a more diverse team makes better decisions and that's that's the bottom line and so if diversity means bringing in more women then yes yeah. that will make you perform better if it means you bring in more people of diversity in socioeconomic terms. Yes. I mean there are so many different ways to create a diverse environment and that can only be good for overall decision making, the abolition of groupthink um yes. and um chipping away at, at unconscious bias. That's All right. Of those things make stronger organizations. And in terms of leading your teams then, how do you get the best out of your teams? How do you kind of turn them into that these kind of I don't know a teams. <laughs> um well uh, we're still at a size now at I3PT so there's there's probably uh 70 to 80 employees now. Um but every single person is considered a leader so we have a very flat structure. 
in our organization. And the idea is that you are responsible for your workload, your workflow, for highlighting issues and problems. Um, and, and to a certain point, you know, trying to resolve them, coming to coming to leadership with solutions. Um, and we give a lot of uh, time to our services team when it comes to the development of the software platform. You know, they're, mm. they're the experts, they're the guys on site that use it day to day as well. I mean, we're, we're the only software platform I know whose main customer are in the, sat in the same building as them two desks down. I mean, wow. they don't hold back when they're giving <laughs> reviews. If, you're, if your system is then the guy mm. who has to use it on site that sits next to you will come and tell you. Um, <laughs> but we expect that and we encourage that. So um, it's really important when, when leading a team. And one thing I really try to do is instill a sense of leadership in, in everybody yeah. um, and personal responsibility. Brilliant. I love that. Bleeding leadership into the organisation, you know, makes your life easier as well. And uh, and so your teams, are they kind of exter external or internal teams? Uh, do you keep everything in-house? So um, we have a real mishmash and I personally as well um, am a real, um, if you try to draw some kind of mind, mind map of um the different stakeholders that I deal with and the teams that I work in, it would be nuts because we've got, yes, internally, we have our services team that are also our client. We have the software team that are my team um, operationally. Um, we also have clients who we consult to. Um, we have uh, organizations that deliver um, solutions, APIs, adapters for us um, and but then equally for myself, I'm, I'm part of the um, UK BIM Alliance um, as an ambassador As an ambassador there. I um, am part of a group called the Digital Twin Fan Club, the, the Chartered Institute of Building. Um, I'm part of the Digital Special Interest Group, um, doing some work with the government on the what we call the golden thread, which is the legislation that's coming out of the back of the Grenfell disaster. Um, uh, the IET, the Institute for Engineering and Technology, I'm part of their built environment group. Um, and so there are lots of, oh, and um, global vice chair for a, an organization called Women in BIM as well. So I personally have lots and lots of teams dotted all over the place that I'm either a, a part of or a leader of or I, I've got slightly different roles in every every single cool. thing so yeah <laughs> where do you find all the time are you a time lord of some sort <laughs> it's um yeah I have to be really really strict now about what I can and what I cannot commit to yeah um, and that means being strict with myself as well uh there's one thing that I struggled with very early on and still struggle with a little bit is if there's a problem I want to solve it especially if I can see a solution. Yes. I don't always take into account the fact that, you know, I'm already working six days a week, seven till nine. Like it, there's no more hours left in the yes. day. Yes. Yeah. I, I can sense that about you. You love, you love a problem, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like a magnet that draws you in. Um, and in terms of the comp, your company engineering challenges, what, what engineering challenges are you facing at the moment? If any. Um, I guess, for us, it's um, growth, so maintainable growth, not only of our people and our culture. So we have a very, very good culture at I3PT. Um, we continually ask our employees and ourselves 
you know, to finish the sentence, people like us, dot, 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 um, and really instill that sense of mm. community and, and, and worth. Um, as we grow, that flat structure, that everybody being a leader, it might not be as sustainable as we hope it would be. So managing that is, is going to be very difficult. Um, from a software perspective, um, it's the, the bolt-on of new tools, new functionality, um, and changes specifically in things like um, international standards for mm. information management. So um, not so long ago, there was a, a UK annex released for um, the international standard for information management in relation to building information modeling. A bit of a mouthful, very mm. dull read. I don't recommend that you go read it. <laughs> 1650 it's 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 dull but um within a week uh the uk and ireland released local annexes of that iso and both of them in terms of data structure for the naming of information were completely different oh dear followed completely different rule sets and nuances so part of our um, platform is to validate information coming into the system against the requirements of the geographical region right if we now have and we work almost 50 50 across um, the uk and ireland now which meant that we all of a sudden had to build and adapt our system for some very different rules and mm. you know if then kind of scenarios and uh when it now means that we're going to have to completely change the back end and the logic um, to to suit the fact that over the next couple of years, there are then going to be another five, six, seven, eight local annexes um, mm. released, all probably with, with very different um, requirements. So that is a technical yeah, I, I kind of uh, got an image in my head of you when one of these new versions of the standards comes out. You're like, kind of, good, get, let me get my hands on it, you know? Uh, I mean, is, is it something that really kind of uh, it interests you, excites you? Um, it's <laughs> um, yes and no. So originally, yes. Um, so when I first started in construction, a huge part of my job was analysing the local um, or the um, international standards and making them relevant for a local audience and then making them relevant for a specific project and then building the system around that to make sure that we had a good information management framework. Mm. And that was fun. But now that I am actually building, building the system, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's more of a headache. Yes, and it adds it, to your work kind of thing. Well, it's like a one step forward, two steps back a little bit. Yeah. We have this international standard. Everybody starts to to work towards that. And then an annex is released. It has changes and everyone's confused again. And we have to change our system. And all the great things about continuity and golden threads of information and consistency, continu continuity, um, capability and competence as well, because people then all of a sudden their, their knowledge is, is outdated. Yeah. It all adds up to inefficiency. Yes, and, and confusion and mistakes as well. And do you, 
a kind of user level then kind of have case studies that you run through the system like an integration test where you're saying you know this is the because of this change i'm expecting this kind of outcome i, I i'm not sure how you test this kind of stuff but i can imagine there is some type of dry runs you know where you want to make sure that the platform is doing what you expect yeah well it's um we do uh we have a full-time uh automation automation test engineer um who continually continuously tries to break our system for us and compares it against the standards um the the problem is uh balancing that between what the standards say and what each individual project want to do as well because mm -hmm. there's nuanced projects set up so a lot of the testing has to be manual and at the moment uh, myself and our um, operations manager Jack um, spend a lot of time digging around and testing manually. Wow! Um, so luckily, my background's in that, um, and Jack's isn't, which is great because that then adds an objective point of view. Misuse um, cases, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So between the two of us, we tend to be able to then flag up, right? Uh, <laughs> flag up any any issues. Yeah, I can, I'm getting a picture for the complexity of all this. It's and I love this kind of word that you use, the golden thread. You know, um, that, yeah, it's a really kind of nice, nice word. Uh, and explain to an audience that might be a little bit confused by that what that is, the golden thread. So actually, it's um, a term coined by Dame Judith Hackett, um, who was the, the person who wrote uh, "Building a Safer Future," which was the report of recommendations that needed to, to happen in the construction industry after the Grenfell disaster. Mm. One of her um, key takeaways was that a lack of good information management and clear accountability were, were one of the main reasons that, that Grenfell happened. And so she coined the term a digital golden thread of information, which essentially means being able to look at any asset at any point in time and understand where it is in the journey um, from, you know, the very beginning of the planning of a building all the way through to operation and, and demolition. You can sort of see every wow. every um, decision that was made specifically relational at the moment to fire safety, but the, the scope is being um, extended. Uh, and it's just all about, yeah. The, and, and so we use the term golden thread of information quite a lot to explain um, that that pull through maybe from system to system, certainly from functionality to functionality um, uh, through the life cycle of a whole building. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's I can see the, the value of this. I think it's really important, especially when you see the news reports of uh, what could go wrong. So coming back to you, Vicky, again, in terms of your role and being bold and being out there, what keeps you up at night? Um, not having enough time to do everything that I want to do. Ah, so that's that time machine again. Yeah, that exactly. All <laughs> comes back to that. Every, all of my blockers at the moment are related to to time. Wow. Okay. And so actually, this I'm going to jump to a, a section as we kind of come towards the end of our podcast. I'm going to pretend to be a tech genie for a minute. Okay. I'm going to offer you a wish. What would your wish be for your leadership, for your business, for your industry? Um, it would have to be a cultural change. Um, all of the tech exists to support um, better buildings and better health and safety in buildings. The fact is that people aren't embracing that and the processes aren't in place and aren't working. And all of that, 
falls down to a blame culture that's been built up over years and years and years um, and a, a culture of non-collaboration or lack of collaboration. So I yes. would I would really just want I'd like the journey that sort of the, go, the oil and gas industry went through um, a few years ago where they went from a similar position to where construction are now. They had a major disaster um, yeah. and then there was substantial change, but it, it took a period of, I think maybe 10 or 20 years, but mm. it's now an unrecognizable industry. And I'm hoping that that's the journey we're on now. Brilliant. And you're going to be there at the forefront of it, which is, uh, <laughs> which is good. Um, and in terms of your leadership and your learning, your growth, what kind of books would you recommend to uh, the men and women tech leaders out there uh, to kind of maybe look at books that were gateways for you? Um, I would definitely recommend Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. So it's, I know it's a bit of a, a cliche, but if you are building systems or processes for human beings, then it's an absolute must for understanding the human brain, the way we make decisions, the way we analyse information. Yes, that's a good one. I have read that. It's quite a thick one, I remember. It's quite a, it, uh, but it was very enlightening. Um, any others? Is that the main one? Yeah, no, I guess the other one would be um, a book called The Checklist Manifesto by um, Atul Gawande. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. It, it sounds very dry, um, but on my first day of I3PT, um, Owen, our CEO, sort of dropped a couple of books on my desk and said, off you go, ingest those. And one of them was this, The Checklist Manifesto. Um, and it is simply a book about checklists but it's so beautifully written and it's entertaining. It really changed uh, my perspective. So if you're remotely interested in increasing product productivity or, or reducing mistakes across any environment, then it's an absolute must read. I'm going to add that to my list. So thank you for sharing that. It's not as long as thinking fast and slow. It's much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was worried it's going to be like war and peace. Finally, as we come to the end, what's your kind of key takeaway for the men and women tech leaders out there? It's the... Technology only takes you part of the way and a, a huge part of my progression in the technology space has been the fact that I can act as a translator. So, um, so much of my value that I've been able to add has been understanding the technical side, but being able to communicate that to the real life human beings at the other end. Um, and it's something that I think gets overlooked so much and especially around user experience and user interface of, mm. um, of any kind of system or platform. You have to remember that it's human beings that you're working with, it's human beings that will use the system. Um, and so it's, it's absolutely pivotal that you're a person person to be able to develop the best technology solutions. Love that. Brilliant. Human-centric humanity. I love that. So that's great. So thank you for your time, Vicky. I know you're a very, very busy uh, leader. Um, um, and thank you for taking time out in your diary to share your wisdom. And uh, I look forward to speaking again. Absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. An industry that is ripe for innovation and modernisation. As part of I3PT, Vicky and her team, under her leadership, are digitally transforming an entire industry that has had a few terrible jolts in the past, namely the Grenfell Tower disaster here in the UK. The auditing and compliance and decision making in the construction industry space is hard going. If companies do it at all, it's laborious and prone to inconsistent quality. So it's great to see the platform that I3PT are providing is making that easier. 
as Vicky described it, like a fly buzzing around asking, have you done that yet? And sometimes that's what you need. You need that accountability. You need that reminder. In the long run, it makes less work and ensures everyone is covered. And in the unfortunate event of something going wrong, the story of how things unfolded, i.e. the decisions made or who was involved, can be reviewed. People can deepen the learning around it and new actions can be fed into the process. So what were my key takeaways? Number one, digital systems to track, monitor and record activity can make everyone's life easier. Automation and digitization provides potentially a free ticket to an audit trail, giving you that warm, fuzzy feeling that everything's compliant. My second key takeaway is the diversity of people in the construction industry. It's changing. And in Vicky's own words, this is having a positive effect on the way business is conducted and how leadership operates. In short, what all us sensible people already knew, that people of different genders and diversity of thinking was always going to be good for business. My final key takeaway is from Vicky's journey. The journey from actress to tech leader. It just shows you, if you want it, opportunities are there. Vicky's hunger to make things better and a love of solving big industry challenges has led her to the work she loves now. And on that note, I shall make a Shakespearean style thank you and goodbye. Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be some other morrow. Yeah, I know, I shouldn't give up my day job. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Labs services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.